Acts chapter 12. Let's read together. You'll find the words on the screen so we can all read the same translation. Uh, Acts chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. Let's read together, shall we? Now about that time, Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. When he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. When he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out before the people. So Peter was kept in the prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church to God. On the very night when Herod was about to bring him forward, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and guards in front of the door were watching over the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared, and a light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter's side and woke him up, saying, Get up quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Gird yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and continued to follow, and he did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate that leads into the city, which opened for them by itself. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. When Peter came to himself, he said, now I know for sure that the Lord has sent forth his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. Now, Lord, we thank you for your presence that we've sensed and for the work that you've already done in our lives. Now, I ask that you will open our hearts that we may hear and receive that which the Spirit will say to us in the midst of the preaching. I pray that faith will begin to arise even now, and that people will respond to the Spirit's prompting. I lift up to you other life-giving churches. I pray blessing upon them. And I pray for our loved ones not yet walking in right relationship with you. I pray that you draw them to a place of repentance. Lord, I pray especially for our sons and daughters that have walked away from the faith. I pray that you will send the Holy Spirit after them. I pray that you will draw them, that you will arrest their hearts. I pray that they won't be able to resist, but that you will soften them, make them tender to the voice of the Holy Spirit. I pray, O oh Lord, that not one of them will be lost. I pray, O oh Lord, that your hand will rest upon your people. Lord, I pray that your touch will be upon our land once again. We need you, O oh Lord. I pray for a revival of righteousness in our nation. Lord, I just ask even for the alert that's just gone out over our phones. I pray that your hand will work there and your grace will be multiplied to bring your help. Lord, we need you. We thank you. I pray all of these things now in the only name that matters, the matchless name of Jesus our Savior, our Lord, and our soon-coming King. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. 
The book is commonly called the Acts of the Apostles. My opinion is that perhaps a more accurate title would be to call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit working through the Apostles. Because on every page, the work of the Holy Spirit fairly leaps out at you of things that he is doing in the early church through the ministry of the Apostles. And from the story we read just a few moments ago, I want to talk to you about the work of the Holy Spirit in the ministry of deliverance. Now, when people hear the word deliverance in the church, they often limit the idea to the area of the demonic. When they hear that word deliverance, they think demon-possessed or demon-oppressed. The reality is that there are a lot of ways people can be in bondage. There are a lot of ways people need to be delivered that have nothing to do with being demonized. There are people who are tormented in their minds. It isn't a demon tormenting you, but you have a pattern of thought that you've practiced for so many years that it has become your default position. So when something happens, instead of thinking what is the best that could possibly happen, your mind immediately thinks what is the worst that's going to happen. You're in bondage. It isn't a demon. You just need to be delivered from stinking thinking. Some people are in bondage to pain. Sometimes that pain is physical and you need healing and deliverance from physical pain. There are other people who need deliverance from emotional pain, hurts that have been visited upon you. You have scars and, and wounds from things done to you that have left you emotionally traumatized. You withdraw when someone tries to get close. You, you put up shields and barriers and, and try to protect yourself. You need to be delivered from pain. There are people who are grieving. You're stuck in your grief and you can't seem to get past it. Now, now uh, please, when I say this, I, I'm not minimizing your grief or the reason for your grief. The pain is very real. But sometimes the grief becomes all-consuming. And you can't move forward to become all that God has designed and created you to be because you've gotten trapped by grief. If that's you, there's a need for you to be delivered. The bondage I'm talking about takes all kinds of shapes and forms. People are in bondage to substances like alcohol and drugs. People are in bondage to unholy and unhealthy desires of the flesh and lifestyles that are not pleasing to God. People are in bondage to uncontrolled anger. People are in bondage to patterns of abusive behavior. People are in bondage to despair. People are in bondage to depression. People are in bondage to fear. Some of these problems exist just because we live in a fallen world. How many of you know that the world is broken? You know. Some of your problems are the consequences of your own ill-advised actions. You probably didn't want me to say that, but it's still true. You know, we still reap what we sow. 
But some of them come because there is a spiritual adversary who roams about over the earth as a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. His actions are designed to kill, steal, and destroy. There are spiritual powers and rulers and forces of darkness that have held counsel and passed referendums against the people of God. And even now, there is a spiritual struggle going on in the realm of the Spirit. Every time I come to this pulpit, I'm preaching to people who understand trouble and conflict and adversity and tragedy and crisis. Sometimes those problems just seem overwhelming. Sometimes those problems become cords that wrap around you and threaten to squeeze every bit of spiritual life and vitality out of you. Can anybody say amen to what I'm saying this morning? Today, I want to say, I didn't come to just rehearse how bad it is. Instead, I came to tell you how good it can be. As we work our way through this story, there is one central truth I want to hold up for you. I want you to see it. I want you to remember it. I want you to claim it as a personal promise for your life. Here's the truth. The Holy Spirit still delivers. If you have a place of bondage where you need to access the delivering power of the Holy Spirit, what I want to do in this message is I want to give you a prescription for action. First of all, this story teaches that you should respect the mystery of God's providence. Chapter 12 of the book of Acts opens by talking about a man, Herod Agrippa I. He was a wild, ruthless, wicked, and vile man. He was on a mission to torture and torment and ultimately destroy the early church. I, 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 it, it just, in verse 1, it, it, it loses something of the force of what's going on when it says that Herod had done this to mistreat them. Uh, you know, I think of being mistreated and somebody said something that I didn't like. No, 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 no. He was going to destroy this church. And toward that end, he captured James, the brother of John, and put him to death with the sword. When he saw that his actions caused his numbers to rise in the public opinion polls, he decided to go after another of the leaders, the apostle Peter. A warrant was issued, Peter was arrested, taken to prison. Herod's plan was to wait until just after Passover and then kill him as well. Now that's what you call a crisis. The church is on the defensive and Peter's in prison until a, and he's under a death sentence. Now, <laughs> when I read this story, I can't help but think, why did God allow such a vile, wicked man as Herod to become king in the first place? I mean, if I were God, he would never have made it that far. In fact, he wouldn't live to see another sunrise. And, and why should James be killed and Peter be thrown into prison? I mean, is God capricious or has God lost control? That doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem fair. There doesn't seem to be any sensible reason for what's going on right now. Well, what you need to understand today is that just because what's happening around you doesn't make sense to you 
doesn't mean it doesn't make sense. Life is filled with questions that don't have answers. But what you have to remember is that you don't live by explanations. Life isn't a problem to be solved. It's a mystery to be lived. And sometimes you just have to accept that God's hand in all of this is hidden. You know, many years ago, I can remember as a child watching a television program that came on during the day of an artist giving painting lessons. I don't know if he's still doing that or not. He'd be really old by now if he is. But, to, but he would have his canvas out and he would have this, his, his palette and he'd, he'd mix his colors on this palette to get just the right shade and then he would start painting. And it was fascinating to watch, you know, I can barely draw a stick figure and then, then it's lopsided. But So it was fascinating for me to watch a picture take shape on the canvas as he would move the brush back and forth and he would explain what he was doing and how he was doing it. Well, sometimes he would have a picture almost complete and then he would say something like, I think it would be good to have a tree right here. And he'd take his brush and load it up with paint. And to my eyes, he would just kind of splatter the paint on the canvas. When he did that, I would think, oh, man, you just ruined your picture. It was really pretty until you messed it up by splattering it with that glob of paint. Well, then the painter would work the paint with the brush this way and that. The next thing you know, there's a tree right in the middle of the canvas. What looked like a mess was turned into a masterpiece. I want to tell you, sometimes you look at how God is putting the colors on the canvas of your life, and you think he's doing a great job until all of a sudden something just goes splat. And when that happens, your first response is, oh, God, you really messed up this time. Have you, have you ever felt that way? God, how could you let this happen? When I was watching that painter on television splatter that canvas with paint, it didn't make any sense to me. Ah, but it made sense to him. And just because things in your life aren't making sense to you, don't think they don't make sense. Just because you can't see God working doesn't mean God isn't working. You may be listening to this message right now and thinking that nothing good is ever going to come out of your present problem. You may be thinking that you're going to be permanently stuck in this prison. When that happens, just because you can't see God working, I want to tell you again, doesn't mean God isn't working. Because while you're waiting, God is working. And while you're wondering, God is working. And while you're wishing, God is working. That's the assurance of Romans 8 and 28. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. I'm telling you today, you're never going to figure it all out. No, you're not. You, you know, I was thinking about this the other day. When you're a kid, you wonder, why does God put all the vitamins in spinach and not in ice cream? A 
Life is full of mystery. (laughs) But you don't live by explanations. You live by promises. And God is somehow able to take all the good and all the bad and mix them together. And when they come out, it's for your good and it rises to the praise of his glory. See, sometimes you just have to determine to let God be God. Just because it doesn't make sense to you doesn't mean it doesn't make sense. So learn to respect the mystery of God's providence. And then as you're positioning yourself for the Holy Spirit's work of deliverance, this story also teaches you should request the ministry of God's people. Verse 5 says, so Peter was kept in the prison... But prayer for him was being made fervently by the church to God. Now, there doesn't seem to be much hope for Peter. He's in maximum security. The prison has guards at the doors to both the outer and the inner prison. Peter's right hand is chained to a guard on one side, and his left hand is chained to a guard on the other side. On top of that, he's counting down the hours until his scheduled execution. I got amused when I was reading this uh, once again. Uh, where, where is it? Verse, um, in verse 4, where, where it says that when they arrested Peter, they delivered him to four squads of soldiers. I'm like, you need that many guys to handle one little fisherman? You know? But the, he's in a mess. Peter is in a crisis of epic proportions. Every door is shut except one, the door that goes straight up. And I want to tell you, when there's no hope on the horizontal level, there's always hope on the vertical level. There isn't anything Peter can do for himself, but that's when God's people begin to minister on his behalf. They begin to pray. Now, I've discovered some people have a, have a rather low opinion of prayer. They think you should be out doing something instead of on your knees praying. I recently saw a social media post where a person was justifying the remarks he was making about the evils that are present in our society by telling how many hours a day he spends researching the sources for his information and why he was railing against all the evils and talking about all the, all the background and all the sources he has. Well, I couldn't help, when I read that, I couldn't help but wonder how much better his time would have been spent if he had spent it in prayer instead of trying to prove how evil the bad guys are and how right and how righteous he is. It's just a thought. See, prayer is an incredible ministry that is available to the church that brings about incredibly powerful results. But it isn't just any old kind of prayer that brings about deliverance. I want you to see, first of all, the frequency of the prayer. Verse 5 says that prayer was made without ceasing. There was persistence to their praying. You know, Jesus taught in Matthew 7 and 7 to ask and to seek and to knock. What he was literally saying was to ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, verse 1, the Bible says Jesus was telling them a parable to show them that at all times they ought to pray and not to lose heart. Maybe you've been praying for your deliverance for a long time. Maybe you've gotten tired of praying about it. I want to tell you, pray one more time. Keep praying. Understand that God's delays are not God's denials. 
not only do you need to see the frequency of the prayer, but then I want you to see also the fervency of the prayer. The verse says they were praying fervently. That word means intense. It means white, heart, white hot. This is desperation praying. This is prayer that wrestles and strives. This is prayer that agonizes and travails. This is prayer that means business and refuses to let go until the answer comes. Well, there's the frequency of the prayer. There's the fervency of the prayer. Then, then there's the fellowship of the prayer. Verse 5 says the prayer was made by the church. They were assembled together as the church. They, there was agreement to this prayer. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 18, verses 19 and 20, if two of you agree on this earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three have gathered together in my name, there I am in their midst. I want to tell you, if you're in crisis, if you're in trouble, if you're bound, don't try to be a lone ranger. Don't try to be a lone ranger. Oh, I, I know you want to be private. You don't want anybody to know what's going on. I have an unspoken request. I have no idea how to pray for that. I don't. I'm sorry. How can I agree with that? I don't really know what that means. Do, do, does that mean your big toe hurts? Or does that mean the doctor's giving you three months to live? Because I'm going to pray differently about those things. I don't know how to pray for that. You know? And I won't know if God showed up and answered the prayer. Bartimaeus is on the side of the road when he hears Jesus is passing. I know this is messing with some of your theology, isn't it? Good. Bartimaeus is on the side of the road when he hears that Jesus is passing by. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Hey, hold it down there, buddy. We're trying to have a religious festival here. We don't do that around here. You just stay calm. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. What do you want? I have an unspoken request. <laughs> no! I want to see. You, you want to be so private about everything. See, you're so concerned that somebody's going to judge you because you're having a struggle. Well, welcome to life. Who among us has not struggled? You don't want anybody to know you're having any trouble. Well, get over it because we've all got it. Ah, uh, you may not like me very much after this, but I'm this far into it, I might as well just go all the way. Let me tell you what's really happening here, okay? Maybe if I spell the condition you're in when you're like that, maybe it won't hurt so bad if I spell it, okay? Here it is. Here's what's going on when, I don't want anybody to know, P-R-I-D-E. And my Bible says that God resists the P-R-O-U-D. But he gives grace to the humble. My Bible says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Now, now understand, I know you shouldn't tell everybody your stuff because some people don't have enough sense to keep it between you and them and the Lord. So use wisdom. You can't trust everybody with your stuff. So don't just indiscriminately throw it out there. 
I'll tell you what, you don't need to be telling it to somebody that's going to say, oh, I can't believe you're in that kind of trouble. (laughs) No, I'm going to stay away from you. No, you don't need to tell those people about it. You don't need somebody that's going to beat up on you for the problems you're having. Neither do you need somebody that's going to say, well, you know, if you just had enough faith, you wouldn't have that problem. Jesus, deliver me from those people. No, you get you somebody with you that knows, that you know has a, has a walk with God. You know this person prays. You know this person knows how to talk to God instead of talk on the phone to their neighbor. You know this person knows how to talk to God instead of spilling everything they know on social media. Get you some prayer partners. Get you some brothers and sisters. You have confidence in their prayers. Let them know what you need. Get them praying. The fellowship of prayer. There's fervency and frequency and fellowship. And then I want you to see the faith of the prayer. Verse 5 says that prayer was made unto God. There, there are too many people who fail to pray because they're convinced they aren't spiritual enough or they don't have the faith they need to get a prayer through. I'm going to help somebody right here. When you pray, you don't really need great faith. What you need is faith in a great God. That's the faith you need. If it's dependent upon your faith, we're all in a world of hurt. But it's not, it's dependent upon the greatness of God. These people weren't praying to impress one another, they were desperate. They were talking to the one who could do something about the situation. And then there's the focus of the prayer. The prayer was unto God, but they were praying for Peter. It was a prayer with specificity. Too often I hear people pray such vague general prayers. Consequently, they don't really know if God answered their prayer or not. It's kind of like, God bless all the missionaries. What what does that mean? (laughs) Have you ever been talking with somebody and had this person say, Y'all come see us sometime. They don't mean that. (laughs) Or if they do, I mean, what does that really mean? Y'all come see us sometime. Ah, but if somebody says, hey, I got some steaks in the freezer. Why don't you come over next Saturday afternoon? We'll put those bad boys on the grill. We'll make a churn of homemade ice cream. We'll play some board games. I want to tell you, that's somebody that means it. That's specific. And I just saw some of your eyes light up and saw you perk up when I said homemade ice cream. I just, I don't know what. When you pray, what are you praying for? If God were to answer your prayer, would you even know it? Is your prayer that specific? The prayer in this story was focused and specific. So when God answered, everybody knew it. When you're looking for deliverance, respect the mystery of God's providence. Request the ministry of God's people. And then I want you to see that you need to rest in the mastery of God's peace. Verse 6 says that on the night that Herod was going to bring Peter out before the people to have him arrested, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains. Think about that. Everything's looking bad for Peter. This is his last night. Tomorrow will be his last sunrise. 
So what's Peter doing? He's sleeping. It, it, it isn't a fitful or a restless sleep either. Verse 7 says, it, he's, he's sleeping so soundly, the angel of the Lord had to poke him in the side to wake him up. And, and even when he gets woke up and dressed and going through the gates of the prison and walking in the street on his way to the house where the church is praying, he still thinks he's dreaming. Can you imagine that kind of peace in the midst of your crisis? A peace where you're not worried about it? A peace where you're not losing sleep at night? A peace where you're not running all over God's creation trying to find a solution? Because you're trusting that God has everything under control. This is the peace the prophet was talking about in Isaiah 26 and 3. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. That's what Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7 is talking about when he says, be anxious for nothing. That just means don't worry about anything. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, the, the, the soldiers thought they were standing guard over Peter in the prison. It was actually God's peace that was guarding him. I'm talking to somebody who needs to get your eyes off the storms that are blowing around you. and Put your eyes on the Lord. You may feel like you'll never get out of this, but God's got this. God is working. God is sovereign. Trust him. Trust him. Let his peace guard your heart. Remember, the Holy Spirit still delivers. Respect the mystery of God's providence. Request the ministry of God's people. Rest in the mastery of God's peace. Finally, rejoice in the majesty of God's power. The angel awakens Peter. The chains fall off his wrists. He tells him to put on his coat and his sandals. The guards are in a deep sleep. They walk out of the cell past the first and the second ward. They keep walking right past the guards. They come to the iron gate at the entrance, and it opens of its own accord. And Peter walks out, delivered by the power of the Spirit of God. Interesting to me that Peter's deliverance came at the last moment. Uh, can I just tell you, God is a master at cliffhangers. He knows how to bring you right up to the edge and... He even knows how to let you slip off and fall and on your way down. But you'll never hit rock bottom because underneath are the everlasting arms. <laughs> when Peter's deliverance came, it came in such a dramatic fashion that left no doubt that it was the power of the Spirit of God that brought deliverance to him. Now, I may be talking today to somebody who feels like you're in need of deliverance. There's something that has a stranglehold on your life. Maybe you've dealt with this thing for a long time. May, you may have exhausted your efforts and energies and resources. You may have come to the place where you thought nothing was ever going to change and you just might as well accept it. I came to this pulpit with a message from the Lord to tell you that the Holy Spirit still delivers. 
Pray one more time. Ask one more time. Seek the Lord one more time. God is still on his throne. God is still working. Don't quit before your breakthrough comes. Don't give up right on the brink of your miracle. Some of you have wrestled with this problem long enough. You've been tormented by this issue long enough. You've been hindered and handicapped long enough. You've been prevented from moving forward long enough. But while I've been preaching, faith has been rising. I believe somebody's ready to believe the word of the Lord. Somebody's ready to receive the deliverance of the Lord. The spirit of the Lord is here in power. There is bondage-breaking, yoke-destroying power here today. I, I know this message probably isn't for everybody, but it is for somebody. So to that somebody, I tell you, today is your day of freedom. The Spirit of the Lord is here to break the bondage. He'll break the bondage of addiction. He'll break the bondage of depression, and the bondage of fear, the bondage of disease, and of sin, and of guilt, and of shame. He's here to break the bondage of tormenting thoughts that plague your mind, the bondage of grief. The Lord wants you to know today is your day of deliverance. Today is your day of deliverance. Stand with me, please. If you need that, if you believe that, if you want that, then I'm going to ask you to just meet me here at the front. We're going to believe together that the Holy Spirit still delivers. We're going to believe that He not only delivers, but we're going to believe that He will deliver you. That this will be your day of freedom. I'm not going to wait. So if you're coming, you better come now.